the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. There was good news this week for customers of SSE Electricity, which announced a second price drop in three months in its energy prices. You'll hear from Conor Pope, the Consumer Affairs Correspondent of the Irish Times, on the story in a few moments. I'll be asking what kind of savings SSE customers might achieve and whether or not other companies, such as ESB or Borgwatch Energy, will follow suit and drop their prices in the coming weeks. In the second half of the show, Kira O'Brien will explain the import of a legal dispute in the United States between Google and Epic Games, the company that makes the hugely popular Fortnite video game. The row centres around the fees charged by Google for access to its app store. The jury has given its verdicts and the decision could upend the economics of app stores for the likes of Google and Apple. But first to energy prices. SSC Electricity this week announced that it would reduce the domestic electricity rates by another 12.8% and its domestic gas rates by 11.5%. This is the second price reduction from the company in three months. Conor Pope of the Irish Times joins me now to discuss this latest cut by SSE and how its rivals might respond to the move. Connor, welcome to Inside Business. Take us through the latest price cuts announced by SSE. Okay, I suppose this is good news for consumers, or at least it's good news for the customers of SSE Electricity. And to put it into cold, hard cash numbers, the percentage discounts that they're rolling out from February uh, of next year could save the average household around €210 on their electricity bill and €150 on their gas bill. Uh, And it's also worth noting that it's their second price decrease in six months or so. So it does mean that the cost of energy for these customers is falling. And of course, the way the Irish market is structured, it will also mean that the cost for every other gas and electricity customer is going to fall. Because what happens in in this country typically is one player moves and then all of the players move. So while this story directly impacts one particular cohort, I would imagine that it will put pressure on all of the others to follow suit in the weeks ahead. And Connor, what's behind this uh, drop in prices by SSE? Is this because the wholesale rates, let's say, are falling as well? Yeah, they're dramatically lower than they were. And what happened really is in 2021, after Russia invaded Ukraine, energy markets spiked. The cost of energy went through the roof um, and it caught all of the big suppliers, not just in this country, but across Europe on uh, by surprise. And as a result, prices just skyrocketed. Um, and then what companies did, they were spooked. So they started hedging their purchases. So they were, they were paying March April, May 2021 prices for gas and electricity that they wouldn't be using for maybe 12 months, 18 months down the road. Um, and as a result, Irish people ended up being stung for very, very significantly higher prices. Now, while it's worth acknowledging that prices are falling and that the electricity move is to be welcomed, the reality is that we're still paying dramatically more now than we were in let's say, November of 2020. And when I say dramatically more, I mean, effectively, bills are still almost double what they would have been three years ago, When even when you factor in this latest price decrease. Because a price cut of 10% or 15% or 20% or even in some cases 30%, it's obviously to be welcomed. But it comes in the context where prices almost are, in fact, in some cases more than doubled. So a typical household that might have been spending €2,000 on their energy costs 
at the height of the crisis was spending more than €4,000 on their energy costs. And as a result of these price increases, they might now be paying €3,000 or €3,100 or €3,200. So it's still significantly higher than it was even two or three years ago. Conor, how many customers does SSE Electricity have? It actually is quite a substantial player. So it has around a quarter of a million electricity customers and then around 90,000 gas customers. So it's by no means the biggest player in the market. I mean, the two big players would be obviously Electric Ireland for electricity and Borgosh Energy for for gas. And then you have uh, uh, Flow Gas as well. So it's a big player in the market. It has a substantial share of of the market. But I think... What's more interesting is not so much how it will impact the quarter of a million electricity customers or the 90,000 gas customers, but how this move will force the hand of the other players. Because there is absolutely no conceivable circumstance in which the others won't be forced to reduce their prices. And it will depend very much on their individual hedging strategies and it'll depend on how they believe they can... um, best approach this for their customers. But prices are going to fall in the new year. And this is something that has been kind of well flagged. I mean, when they started rolling out discounts in September of of this year, I mean, government ministers were saying, you know, something's done, but a lot more needs to be done. So there was a widespread anticipation that gas and electricity prices, at least, would fall for Irish consumers in the new year. It's probably good news in many respects, that this announcement has come before Christmas because it'll put it up to the others in the immediate aftermath of Christmas. So it sounds like it's a competition play by SSE. Now, if you're an existing SSE customer, are you going to benefit from uh, these reductions automatically? Will they be applied automatically to your account? Yeah, no, that's that's the important thing because a lot of the time when, when discounts are rolled out or when price increases indeed are rolled out, they don't take uh, take effect until your contract period has expired or whatever it might be. But when it comes to energy, the discounts that are announced will take effect for all customers from February the 1st. So customers who are with that company won't have to do anything. The, the discounts will be automatically applied to their to their accounts. And it's worth pointing out that these discounts will come on top of the energy credits that the government announced as part of the budget. So one of those credits of €150 was applied to electricity bills this month and another two energy credits will be applied to electricity bills in January and March of this year. So on that level, you say this is good news for consumers, but I can't stress enough that it's good news that comes after a period of incredible bad news. In terms of pricing, Connor, where would SSE sit in the market, let's say, for electricity or gas? It strikes me there's quite a divergence between the two numbers, which maybe suggests that the gas, they're, they're perhaps not as competitive on gas as they are on electricity. Well, it does very much depend on the nature of your contract. And a lot of people who would strike a deal with electricity would be able to avail of discounts on the standard unit rates. So as to where they stand and if they're cheaper than company X, Y or Z, I think in in, in most respects, all of the company's standard unit rates are in line with each other. I mean, there is some discrepancies, but it's it's the level of the discounts that they're offering that that really is the key factor. And that's why that point really stresses the importance of people being active in the switching market because that is the way that people can make the biggest and most significant savings. Because the way the industry is set up in this country is most people pay the standard unit rate. And the standard unit rate might be 40 cent or 41 cent per kilowatt or whatever it might be. Um, And you could get a discount of maybe 10, 15% off the standard unit rate by switching from company A to company B for the first year of your contract. And despite the fact that these that level of savings is on the table, 
the vast majority of Irish people have never switched to their energy provider and all of those people are collectively wasting hundreds of millions of euro every single year. Yeah, it's very interesting. I was going to ask you if there's much value to be had by shopping around, but it sounds like there is. Well, there is and there isn't, Kieran. And uh, like again, all of this has to be contextualised, as in, uh, uh, and we have to look at what was the case. Now, three years ago, I would have been on your podcast, and I would have said you can save forty percent by moving from company A to company B, or from or by switching your gas or your energy. The level, those kinds of discounts aren't really on the table anymore. So they are much closer to the between eight and twelve and fifteen percent range, which is not insignificant, but it's nowhere near as big a discount as used to be on the table. So I think that's part of the business model that all of these companies factored in in the, in the wake of the energy crisis after Russia invaded Ukraine because they just started saying, OK, well, you know, we're under pressure. We're going to uh, reduce the levels of discounts that are on the table for people. It's also worth pointing out, by the way, that while we're celebrating, if that's not too strong a word, these discounts that are being rolled up by Airtricity, Ireland is still a very, very high cost country for domestic energy. We're still substantially higher than the EU average. And if you were to get your electricity or your gas in Italy or Spain or France, you'd be paying a lot less than you are here. Now, this morning, the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland put out a couple of reports telling us a little bit about our attitudes towards energy, the amount of energy we use, the emissions uh, that it's generating, but also our behaviours. And it seems we're using tumble dryers uh, an awful lot. Yeah, that might have been the top line story or certainly it's something that leapt off the page at me. But I, I think what the, what the reports, the two different reports from uh, the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland suggest is that Irish people are increasingly concerned about climate change. And in fact, the level of car- carbon emissions that we produce is now you know, becoming more of a concern than the cost of the energy that we use. But we still engage in inefficient behaviours such as using our tumble dryers too often, heating empty homes, using cars for short journeys. Um, and all of these things are making the likelihood that we will reach the carbon emission targets that we need to reach in the, in the years ahead increasingly unlikely. And so what the SEAI have established is that our emissions are not reducing fast enough to allow Ireland to stay within the carbon budgets that have been allowed, although we are using less energy. And it is interesting that climate change is driving efficient energy behaviours more than cost. Because I think there's this perception a lot of the time, and it's really interesting, I think, when you talk about energy. When people say they've put in solar panels or they've put in heat pumps or they've, you know, they've insulated their house, one of the questions that used to always be asked is, well, where's the economic benefit for me? I think more and more now people are saying, OK, well, let's park the economic benefit. And now I can say that my house is using less energy and that in itself is, is, is a welcome bonus. So people are maybe a little bit less concerned about the money-saving element of it and more concerned about the fact that they will be lo- using less energy. But while we are concerned about using less energy, as you say, it does seem absurd that we still, and I, and I would include myself in this, we are still terrible when it comes to things like, you know, turning on the heat maybe too early or heating an empty room or heating an empty house or, you know, using the tumble dryer. Yeah, so in essence, it said that energy demand is going up, which is probably no surprise given our population uh, is increasing. Um, but the emissions are, are coming down. They're, they were lower uh, compared with uh, previous years, which I, I guess is good. But by how much do emissions have to come down, Connor, before we're on track in terms of climate change targets? By substantially more than now. I mean, you're talking about uh, very low single digit percentages at the moment. 
and they need to come down by substantially more than that. So I think there probably needs to be a wake-up call amongst consumers that we do need to be doing more on an individual basis to reduce emissions, whilst also understanding that more needs to be done on, on a state level to, to address these, these problems. So, I mean, the SEAI are painting a picture that's, you know, in some ways positive and in some ways gloomy. Um, but, you know, I suppose that, that the real issue here is that an awful lot of people have yet to wake up to the really harsh realities of climate change and what we will need to do in the future to maybe offset the worst consequences of that. Yeah, I should just say that energy demand grew by 4.7% over 2021, but energy-related emissions were 1.7% lower. Um, Connor, I wonder, is there anything in those two reports, you've read them um, quite closely, is there anything there about aviation? Because a lot of focus on aviation at the moment and the fact that it's not very climate change friendly, the, um, the there's no replacement fuel yet for jet kerosene, um, some initiatives are being worked on, but we still don't have a solution. And obviously, Ireland is an island. Ryanair and Aer Lingus, two big airlines, and they take us abroad, etc. So what's the long term solution for that? Well, I mean, the, the reality is that multiple reports over recent months have shown that Irish people's capacity or desire to travel has been undimmed. And people do want to travel. And that was particularly pronounced in the post-COVID period because obviously for two years people couldn't leave the island and then after the pandemic people were using airlines as much as they would have done in in the past and if you look at stats from the Dublin Airport from Dublin Airport and Cork Airport like the people coming through the airports are, are, are coming close to if not topping pre-pandemic numbers uh, people do want to travel and I, I, I think if you, if you were looking at the long-term solution to those problems the long-term solutions have to be cleaner fuels that fly our planes because people aren't going to say, okay, I'm just going to settle on this island and I'm never going to leave the island. People are going to want to travel and that means that it's going to have to be a sectoral solution rather than an individual personal responsibility issue. Although having said that, people will have to take a degree of responsibility because if you if you go on multiple flights over the course of a year, you are significantly deepening your own carbon footprint and that's a question that people will have to answer for themselves. Yeah. We'll finish on the energy prices. We started with SSE's price cut. You've suggested that the others are going to follow suit. So if you're a customer of ESB or Borgosh Energy, you might be tempted to jump ship to SSE. But then you hear Connor Pope saying, well, you know, the other providers are going to follow suit. So should they stick or twist as we come towards Christmas? Well, I would always encourage people to, to shop around when it comes to energy. And I would always encourage people to actively change providers or seek better value at least once every year. In fact, you can only really do it once a year. But anybody who has been with the, the, their same provider for more than 12 months could probably find better value for money. But if I was in the market for, for changing provider right now, and I'm not because I changed about three or four months ago, but if I was in the market, I would probably stick for the next six to eight weeks, see what levels of discounts are rolled out by all of the other providers and then switch to one of the cheaper providers on the market. And by switching to one of the cheaper providers on the market, I could take advantage of their substantially bigger discounts plus any kind of carrot or incentive that they'd be offering me to change to, or to give them my business instead. All right. Uh, very informative, Connor. As always, uh, we leave it there, Connor Pope. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much.
We're going to take a short break now. In a return, I'll be chatting to Kira O'Brien about the Google Epic court case in the United States, which could upend the economics of the $200 billion a year app market. Back in a few moments. How can harnessing the power of AI help drive your business? At EY, we combine leading business expertise with cutting-edge technology and capabilities. Working directly with you to plan your strategy, we will accelerate your AI-enabled transformation. To learn more, visit ey.ai forward slash IE. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. On Tuesday, in a case taken by Epic Games against Google over access to its app store, a jury in San Francisco found that Google had engaged in anti-competitive conduct, that it had harmed Epic and illegally forced its own billing system on developers. Kira O'Brien covered the story and joins me now to discuss the case and its implications for the app store market globally. I began by asking Kira to explain the backdrop to the case and the jury's decision. So what's happened is Epic has taken Google to court because it's alleged that the Play Store, which is Google's main app store, has been operating as an illegal monopoly. And it's not the first time it's taken action against one of these these app stores. It's been in court with Apple, but it lost on most of the points. And that case, it may well come back around again. But this one was kind of seen as a bit of a long shot until they actually got into court. And this has been going on for, for more than a month. And what they've done, they've accused Google of basically taking action against competitors, trying to stop them from um, basically doing their own app stores and charging uh, high fees um, to app developers to use the the Play Store. So what they were looking for was the ability to launch their own store on Android for their players and give customers the option to pay them directly rather than having to go through the Play Store. And they tried to do this uh, with a a bit of a workaround before uh, Google basically threw them out of the Play Store. This has been going on now for a couple of years you know, Epic, if you're not familiar with them, make one of the biggest games out there, Fortnite, which is quite popular and obviously is, is a big revenue generator. If they go through the Play Store, as with the Apple Store, they have to they, they have to give over a percentage of their revenue to Apple and Google to facilitate billing and payments. Uh, and if there's no way around that, it means, you know, they're handing over a chunk of money every month or every week or every day to, to Apple and Google. And they wanted they say, to give customers the option not to do this. Because what's emerged with this App Store model, which is worth about $200 billion, about €185 billion, what's emerged is kind of like a two-tier system. So if you go to, uh, if you have a membership or a subscription to a particular service, if you pay for it through the App Store, or through the Play Store, you'll typically pay a little bit more to cover that 30% fee. And what Epic was saying was, you know, we want the ability to, you know, kind of do business with our customers directly rather than having to go through the App Store or the Play Store. So this is their their fight against Google. And against, I suppose, the predictions at the start, they actually won. The difference, I think, here, the key difference is that when the Apple trial went to court, it was in front of a judge. The Google one was in front of a jury. uh, And the jury have basically said we believe that this is a monopoly um, and we believe that it's damaged Epic as a result. And now it's up to the judge to decide what the remedy for that will be. Kira, why couldn't Epic just sell directly to the consumer? Why does it have to use these app stores? Well, there is all sorts of regulations. I mean, if you go to Amazon, for example, you actually can't buy a book 
on a Kindle book through the Amazon app. You have to go to Amazon's website, load it up on, you know, buy the book there and have it sent to your phone. It's it's a convenience for customers to be able to do stuff through the apps. If you want to buy through the apps, then you have to use the billing system that's there. So whether if you're on the App Store for Apple, it's it's you know you go through the App Store to do it. If you are on the Play Store, you go through Google's billing system. They're basically saying, you know, having this thing where you have to use their billing system to sell to customers through the apps, you know, that that's damaging their business. Now, I think it is worth noting, though, that unlike on Apple, where unless you jailbreak a phone, which is basically, you know, going through like a software workaround, you can't install anything on your phone that doesn't come from the App Store. With Google, you can actually do that. You can install uh, software from unknown sources, it's called. But it involves, you know, taking a risk because you're getting things from an insecure location. You know, they're basically saying if you buy through the Play Store, you know, it's verified. We'll have a look and make sure that, you know, it's as secure as it can be, which works a lot of the time. And sometimes, you know, as we've seen, you know, there's been plenty of malware that's gone through official app stores on both platforms. And there are, I mean, like, you know, you can get, there's a, the Samsung, Samsung Galaxy store, you know, they have their own apps on that. And, you know, there, there are these side deals that have been done. I think Epic and one uh, argument were, were kind of pointing out that, you know, these deals had been done to kind of induce uh, games developers to stay and to not exclusively develop for Google Play, but to at least make games available at the same time and as of the same quality as they were on other platforms. So, you know, Google was basically offering, say, credits or, um, you know, marketing to different app developers to make their apps available on the Google Play Store and to use kind of the, the that billing system. So essentially, the jury have decided that, that their actions have squeezed out these alternate routes to customers and that this is not great for it's not great for customers it's not great for business google obviously denies all of this um and has basically said you know that they, they don't believe that they're operating a monopoly they will appeal it so this is essentially just the first round uh, in what is likely to be you know several battles through court but what it does do is it throws a kind of a it throws a different look and a different outlook for the app store model in general because you know if a jury has decided that you know the, only being able to do business through a particular app store a particular billing system is a monopoly well why would this stand on any system you know why should this stand on apple system why should it stand on google's if this is uh, the the ruling is that you should be able to buy where you want and buy in the, the manner that you want rather than, than what one company decides. Well, you know, this could have implications for Apple as well and for anybody else who tries this particular model of business. Kira, how big is Fortnite as a game? Huge. Uh, it's got like, it's millions and millions of players. I mean, I, I don't think there's a teenager out there who doesn't know how to play Fortnite. So obviously this was a big deal. Not having Fortnite in the, the Google Play Store would be a big deal. Not having Fortnite on mobile platforms would be a big deal. And, you know, it is available across the board. And I think it's interesting as well that during the course of the trial, it came up that, you know, Fortnite and, well, Epic is not taking action against, say, Nintendo. Um, because if you have a Nintendo Switch, you know, you, you can buy games through the Nintendo Store. You know, obviously then that also has a commission on it. So, I mean, some of these commissions can be up to 30%. The same with, say, like with PlayStation or with, with Xbox, they charge a fee to basically facilitate you selling directly to their customers. But they're not taking action against the console makers because 
they see the, the, the console makers as having invested in hardware and having invested uh, and basically selling the hardware at a loss because, you know, it takes billions to develop games consoles. They typically sell them at a loss over years and years to, to make the money back, make the money back on games. So they've basically decided that they're not, it came up over the course of the trial that they wouldn't, they weren't taking action against them because of that. Now, obviously Apple and Google both make their own phones as well. So I don't know how well that argument would actually stand up, but it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting approach from Epic. Kira, is Epic the only company that's actually taking an issue with uh, how the App Store operates and the kind of commissions they play? Or are there others who are, you know, considering legal action against Google or Apple? There have been cases and some of them have been settled, but I think more so than the actual companies themselves, it's the regulators who are looking at, uh, at how this App Store model works. And I think it's worth noting as well that in the past couple of years, uh, Apple has made changes to the App Store in response to potential legal actions and I suppose to ward off or to, to kind of to end legal actions, you know, that they have changed. First of all, the commission is now, you know, it's not a 30% flat commission that they take off everybody. They introduced, say, like a sliding rate of, of, of commission and smaller developers would pay less because if you are Spotify or you are Epic or you're one of these big, huge games companies, 30% is a lot of money or 20% is a lot of money. But you know, you can probably absorb it better than, you know, the, the the developer down the road who is only getting started, has put a lot of money into in developing a game and is now having to fork over a significant chunk of their revenue to Apple or Google or whichever app store that they have chosen to go with. So they have started to make changes. And I think what they've been saying all along, what, what the companies have been saying all along, particularly Apple has been saying is that, look, we monitor what goes into the, the app stores. We have a certain level of quality that we require from the apps. There has to be a certain level of security. And Apple in particular has uh, a number of rules about what you can and can't put into the app store. Um, and so it gives, I suppose it gives a certain level of protection for users. And they're saying, look, if we're forced to open up our systems to every single app store out there, that will also open up our customers to potential harm because, you know, malware has snuck in to the different app stores. You know, people have had apps that say they're one thing, but actually in an update, then it turns out they do another. And the the companies themselves, the tech companies, so Apple and Google have to be on the ball in trying to stamp this out because otherwise people are going to lose confidence in it. So we can see their argument from that point of view. Um, but I think we're, we're kind of approaching the a massive change in how this app store model is going to work because I think, you know, particularly with then with the, the EU's uh, Digital Markets Act, you know, there is a closer eye being put on what the tech companies are doing and, you know, how open they are to competition. And I think that that is going to have significant, um, it's going to have significant repercussions for companies who operate this style of, of business. And I, you know, more so probably than the companies that are taking legal action against them. I think, you know, obviously regulations will force them into making changes quicker than a legal action that that will take years to work its way through the course. If you look at now, if you look at the the uh, the, the mm. Google uh, versus Epic case, I mean, that's been, I think it's three years in the making. Like the, the actual court case itself has been a month. Uh, it took the jury four hours to come to an unanimous verdict, which is quite quick in my opinion anyway, um, but the case itself has been built over a couple of years and now it's going to go through round after round of appeals. So, you know, it could still be another couple of years before there's any meaningful change from that case. 
in the meantime, obviously then the EU Digital Markets Act will come in and Generally, what's happened in the past is when, you know, that when there's been a threat of, of kind of regulatory change or regulatory action, Apple has implemented the um, has implemented the changes across the board rather than have, you know, this rule for an app store in Europe, this rule for an app store in the UK, this rule for an app store in the Philippines. They have basically implemented the changes across the board. So with the, the Digital Markets Act coming in, um, it's going to basically mean major changes, I think, for these guys and for Apple and for Google. And you will see those changes across the board. Yeah, no, two things um, strike me in terms of consumers. One is that if everybody has their own app store going forward, it's going to be very confusing. And it's going to take up a lot of space in your phone and a bit, probably a bit um, messy for consumers. Whatever the merits of, um, of the case that Epic is taking, it is handy just to have one app store to go to and, and buy apps from a consumer point of view, let's face it. The other thing is, um, if Epic uh, eventually wins this battle, uh, will that mean a reduced price for the consumer at the end of the day, or will Epic simply keep that 30% commission for itself? Well, on the last point there, it's probably the easiest one to answer. Is, look, we, do, we don't know what Epic are, are going to do, but at the moment, a lot of, of these services would have a two-tier pricing system. So if you buy it through the App Store or through the Google Play Store where the commission is charged, you will have to pay a little bit extra to cover that commission. That two-tier pricing structure, it's, you know, it's not, it's confusing for customers as well. I think that, you know, in that case, then look, they've already decided that this is the pricing structure that works for them if you buy from us directly. I don't think it would do them any good to then raise that price to the level where the App Store and the, the Play Store was, you know, where that two-tier pricing structure exists. You know, in some cases, they've been absorbing the losses, and that's obviously not sustainable long-term either for a lot of companies. But I think regarding, I suppose, the, the amount of App Stores that you're going to end up with, yeah, I think this could be an issue for a lot of people. It's very convenient to just pay through your phone, to pay uh, through an app store. You know where all of your subscriptions are. And this is something I think, you know, we've discussed before about subscriptions. Um, it's hard to keep track of them. The kind of the convenience of going through the app store and through the Google Play store is that all of your subscriptions are there. So you know how much you're paying, you know when you're paying, and more importantly, there's a very easy way to cancel it. If we now have a, a thing of where, you know, there's there's multiple app stores on your phone because you have to go to this one to get this app and another one to get another music app, or, you know, I, I think that that is going to be confusing for customers, for the average consumer. It would be confusing for me. Um, I mean, I'm still trying to track down where I subscribed to a magazine, I think about four years ago, and I thought I'd nailed it. I thought I'd cancelled it. But it, again, you know, in November, again, it popped up trying to charge my card again. And I still, to this day, I have no idea where that subscription is. I can't find it. That's the kind of thing you're going to see if people are forced to use different stores. Now, what could happen is, is that they will offer it in Apple Store, they will offer it in Google Store, they will offer it in their own store, and you will have the choice of where you go to get that. People may decide that the convenience outweighs the extra three or four euro that they'll spend on that subscription. Um, the, well, I suppose the flip side of that is then you are tied into one, uh, one platform. If you subscribe directly with the company, you can install the app on different platforms, whether it's, uh, whether it's Android, iOS, or you know, accessing it through your computer. And then you can access it wherever you want. So there is that. But that requires a certain level of organization and, you know, it, it, it's, it is more inconvenient, definitely. 
Well, maybe somebody will come up with an app to manage our apps. But in the meantime, the jury has given its verdict. It's over to the judge now. Where, where will this go from here? We'll find out in January exactly what the remedies are going to be. You know, Epic asked for a few things. I said they asked for the ability to have their own um, app store that they could sell to, to players. They asked that they could kind of have customers pay them directly. They also wanted some countermeasures put in place so that, you know, they couldn't basically couldn't come and, and introduce the same system by another means. Now, that one has already think fairly been fairly squashed because the judge said you know that they don't basically issue do not break the law laws you know they don't they don't, don't issue do not break the law orders so if it comes up again that that this somehow happens and the same situation arises you would have to go back to court to get that remedied um they've, the judge has also said that you know they won't be imposing a percentage commission that google should charge so you will likely say well, there will be a ruling on whether or not, I suppose, that they can have their own app stores, whether Google has to allow companies to have their own app stores on their system. Uh, and there will be, obviously, then the direct payments uh, option. But we'll have to wait till January to find out exactly what the judge has decided. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. But then, as I said, you know, we're likely going to be in two rounds of appeals because Google has already made it clear that it will be appealing this decision. OK, Kira O'Brien, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Connor Pope and Kara Bryan for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world.